Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Welcome to the Invisible India Podcast. Jessica here. Today we have a special guest, Carl Rock. You probably know him by his mega YouTube channel, traveling every state and union territory in India, exposing scams and making India safer for travelers. But I had a conversation with Carl about some of his deeper personal matters and things that are close to our hearts as well. We talk about assimilation that happens into Indian culture when you learn the language and have deep relationships with people, cross-cultural marriage, and making India his home as a foreigner. Be sure to listen all the way through and hear about a way that you can get your hands on a copy of Carl's books for free through a social media giveaway that we are doing between July 7th and 21st. So be sure to follow our social media accounts so you can follow how to get your hands on that. Carl and I also did a segment for YouTube called the Experiential India Bucket List. It's on our channel, so check it out. We'll be releasing it in a few days after this episode comes out. We go through all the crazy wild things that happen once you've been in India, not just on a routine tourist visit, but once you've really gotten a little deeper into the culture and connected. What are the things that happen? What are the experiences that you have when you know you've moved beyond tourist level? So go ahead and check that out and see how you measure up to Carl and his experiences. Before we get into the discussion with Carl, we're going to take a listener question. This one came from Paula in Helsinki, Finland. What are the first stereotypes that get thrown away once you are really living in India beyond just a basic visit? I thought this was a perfect question to take today as this is what really Carl and I discuss during the episode. I'm going to speak from my own personal experience is being from the United States, you come across a lot of North Indian people that have immigrated, uh, especially to Western countries, although many North Indians are everywhere in the world. It's, it's an incredible to see the resilience of Indian people and how many people can survive anywhere. A huge majority of Gujaratis and Punjabis end up in North America. And so that was my experience mostly is meeting uh, business owners and um, IT professionals and different people that were mainly from North India. So that was my view of, of, of what India was really like. And the first stereotype that I was confronted with is just how incredibly diverse India is. It's way beyond just northern India, Gujarati, Punjabi-speaking, Hindi-speaking, North Indian culture, the, the plains culture, people from the plains of northern India. While that's certainly the most represented culture in Bollywood and in Indian culture kind of across the globe, and that's certainly the most populated area of the country, India is far, far more diverse than that. India is not just Hindi speaking. We have 18 official languages and actually thousands and thousands of dialects and other minority languages. India has 28 states. People look different from each other. People have different cultures. Some people don't consider Northeast Indians as like real Indian. And that's really sad. India has a huge population of almost every religion in the world. Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jain, Sikh, Buddhist, Parsi, 
tribal religions, you name it. Different people groups, ethnicities. India is very, very diverse ethnically, socioeconomically, and linguistically. And arguably, each state in India could really be its own separate country. So that was the what I would definitely say is just the incredible diversity of India was probably the first thing that blew my mind and, and stereotype that I had to kind of erase from my mind when when I, I came. And I think that's something that everyone would benefit from. So, chaliye, ab aage badte hain, ab kal ke baare mein aur sikhenge. Chaliye, let's hear from Carl Rock. Welcome, Carl. I'm so glad to have you on today. For those of you that don't know who Carl is, he is a YouTuber, traveler turned, what I would say, activist and Indian the mob. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah. So you've been to every state and union territory in India. India You're an, You're a Kiwi come Indian son-in-law and... I have to say that I just really love the your stuff, your perspective is so humble and yet you let the real frustrations of life in India come through. <laughs> your life, yeah, your life is not picture perfect and you got me interested in in YouTube after watching your show and re- made me realize that I needed to get our podcast more onto YouTube and start our own channels. So thanks for inspiring me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. YouTube's the place to be, honestly. That's where the audience is. And I just try to keep everything real, you know, like people want to see something raw and something real. They don't want glossed over rubbish, you know what I mean? They don't want overproduced content. They just want reality and they want to learn something. That's what I think as well. I don't just make content to entertain people. My main focus is to educate people and to educate people about Indian culture and how to travel safely in India. So that that's my real goal just to educate and help people. Yes. Well, you have definitely accomplished that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to skip over the basics because you've done an excellent job of of showing people all of this that you've talked about. Traveling in India, where to visit, how to avoid scams, how to avoid difficult situations. And I'm people can Check that out on your YouTube channel. I mean, if you just look up Carl Rock, you'll, you'll find Carl everywhere. You do an awesome job explaining your thoughts. So if people want to find out more about where you've been, what you've done, how you met your wife, even they can go to your channel. But what we're going to dive into today is some more of the deeper matters of culture, language learning, cultural immersion, and then cross-cultural marriage. But first of all, I got to ask you, why India? And what were you doing before you moved here? I just fell in love with India. Uh, India became one of my passions in life. And I don't know exactly why. India just clicked with me for some reason. It's very hard to explain, you know. Um, I got interested in India purely through the food at first. My girlfriend at the <laughs> time was from England. And um, she made a curry at home one night and I just said, I don't want to eat that. I don't need curry. You know, like I just, I'd never had a curry in my life. And she, she did that thing where she's like, you won't know if you like it until you try it. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, like you do to a kid, right? That's how I was. This was when I was 18. <laughs> and so 
I dipped the spoon in the butter chicken and I put it in my mouth and something just exploded inside my head and I just felt so <laughs> stupid. I was just like, oh my God, this, this is something new. This is something incredible. And that's how I started to fall in, in love with India from there. So I started exploring the food. Then I started making Indian friends and exploring the culture, exploring the Bollywood, Hindi film, exploring mm. music. And I just started falling in love with the country, honestly. I, I, I can't explain why. I just, mm -hmm. it was just a feeling inside me. And some people say maybe I was Indian in a past life. <laughs> and that's, my, my, yes. my stomach definitely was Indian. So that's the only way I can explain it, actually, my connection with India. It's just a, mm -hmm. a love and a passion. That's what it grew into. Yes, yes. I can definitely relate to you in that sense. Where so it's, it's hard to explain. There's something deep within you that just connects and, you know, it's very confusing for people, for yeah. foreigners to understand why I love India. But that kind of made me believe that maybe we do have past lives. I don't think about that <laughs> stuff much, but I was like, that's the only thing I can think of, of why I'm connecting with India. Yeah. You have really developed a wonderful attitude to adjusting to India. So how did you move from fighting India and fighting against Indian culture and like just just the challenges of everyday life of being here of traveling I mean in traveling there's so much stuff you come across which is just really <laughs> makes you want to fight and then to just accepting it like India and you've been one of those people who has kind of permanently adjusted so how was that process for you I, I never fought India I never mm. fought Indian culture I never I'm the kind of guy who doesn't dwell on the negatives. Like mm. I forgive and forget really easily. And that's part of living in India. You have to be adaptable. And I realized that early on, if I'm moving to another country, I should become, I should join their culture. I should become part of them. I should become Indian. Basically, mm. if I'm going to live in their, their culture, I should adjust to them. And so I've just always been open-minded and adaptable. And that's what you have to be if you come to live in India, because as a foreigner, you will face little little struggles, but it's just like learning to deal with them. And mm. that's a big part of my channel. So the biggest hassle I had when I first arrived here was all the scammers on the street trying to take advantage of me. Yes. And so I just started making videos about that just to help other people avoid them only. And so, yeah, once, once you learn how to avoid these things then it's fine, you know. You, you, it's just a process of becoming more street smart mm -hmm. and adapting and learning to how to live in India. Mm -hmm. I'm a positive guy, so I don't dwell on any negative stuff that has happened. I forget it so quickly. And you have to be like that if you're living in India because there will mm -hmm. be a lot of little kind of hiccups and struggles along the way. But you get over them, it makes you stronger, and you feel like, mm -hmm. wow, I achieved something, I accomplished something, I learned something, I'm stronger for it. And mm -hmm. yeah, every day is an adventure in India. That is so true. <laughs> That's what I tell anyone that is coming here to work with us or who is coming to, to visit for the first time is that, you know, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And you can move from the hate to love and you can move from the love to hate. And then there's there's that it's like this infatuation that takes place, which then slowly turns into a, you know, like long term relationship. Like how how much of the, the good Am I able to soak in in the bad? How much can I ignore to like commit to this? And that's a, it's not an easy thing and, and it's not something that everybody necessarily can overcome. Yeah, you have to wanna, you have to wanna be here. You have to 
you have to have an adaptable and an open-minded personality mm. and definitely you just have to want to do it and you have to want to learn from another from another great culture like part of the fun of living in, in india is learning from indian culture things we haven't learned in our culture in the west the culture is so mm. different there's yes. so much we can learn from india just like like my wife gets everything fixed when it breaks back yes. home in new zealand we throw it in the bin so it's just just stuff like this you learn and you appreciate and yeah it makes you a better person i think <laughs> Yeah, the first time when I had first moved to India when in 2006, I remember having this aha moment when this guy rang our doorbell. You're coming to sell the buckets? And we're like, he's like, You're coming to fix a bucket? This is like... At that time, it was like 50 rupees for a bucket. You're coming around <laughs> to fix a bucket because people used to have those terrible, you know, um, iron, those heater that you used to put inside the bucket. And sometimes it would melt the side of the bucket. It was so dangerous. Yeah. So people used to like, he, he would literally, this was his job. He would come around and fix buckets all day. Like he would melt little plastic patches on the sides. <laughs> and it's like, yep. I would never, this would never have occurred to me. So I hear you totally. Like this is such a, there's such a like, you know, jugard and there's such a like attitude of thriftiness and we shouldn't confuse that for just poverty. We should confuse, we should, we should see the thriftiness that, that people have and appreciate it. So yeah, people don't like to waste even one rupee here. And that's something we should all live by in our lives actually. For the planet, at least. For sure. Yeah. So for you, like, what was the turning point of when India turned into home? Oh, wow. I've never thought about some of these questions you're asking me. They're really good. <laughs> when did it become home? I guess after I got married. I think the day I got married and my father-in-law kind of welcomed me into the family that way. Mm. And I moved into the house here. That's, I guess that's when I started feeling like home, like proper mm. home. Yeah, so you're staying with Manisha's parents? You guys yeah, stay together? Yeah, I'm a guard Jamai, as they call it. Ah, <laughs> joint family. Yeah, I, we, we could go and rent an apartment or something, but Manisha loves to be with her, her mom, actually, and to be with her family and look after them. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite happy living here with them. It's actually, it's, we're not alone, you know, like we yeah. always have our parents-in-law there. It's such a nice thing. Mm. I know a lot of Westerners worry about the privacy issue, but... If you have a, an apartment with enough space and you have your own room, then no problems. Yeah. Well, that just shows that you really are soaking up the best of Indian culture because mm -hmm. like, Indian family life is some of the most, the biggest treasures that I've found yeah. in India as well. Is, is the, um, I interviewed on episode 12 another friend of mine who's been in India for a long time as well. And he's also, he's American. Uh, John Ryder is his name. And he also is, um, he's fluent in Hindi. He's an awesome guy, lives in Varanasi. And he had said that, that I never understood the depths in, of Indian culture until I married into it. <laughs> mm, it's <laughs> I true. I think the expectations on you as a, as a son-in-law and as a husband and as you're a part of that bigger family, that's when it kind of clicks. Like, oh, this is what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And it depends on what family you marry into, though. There's, there's kind of two types of families in India, mm. I think. There's very, <laughs> very, very traditional, and then there's more open-minded families. And I married into a very open-minded family, even though both my parents-in-law 
are from small villages, okay? So this isn't usually, they're not usually that open-minded um, people from these small villages. They, they don't know other ways of living. Mm. So it, it's kind of a miracle that I've ended up with this, with exactly the right family and a family who, you know, lets us do what we want and respects us. So yeah, we got really lucky, really, really lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, you know, it's funny. I have a somewhat similar situation with Abhishek's parents because they're very traditional. My mother-in-law is from a village that doesn't have electricity. The first time she rode in a car, she was 19 years old. (laughs) Wow. Um, And, you know, their family, my father-in-law can manage English, but, you know, a lot of the other relatives, including my mother-in-law is like, English, English, you know, she's like, mm-hmm. um, but if you want to talk to her about Sanskrit, if you want to talk to her about rituals, you want to talk to her about village life, my goodness, she's <laughs> so much knowledge. And to, for her to accept an American person as her daughter-in-law, it was like such a stretch, but she's just, but like, they've been so welcoming to me and so loving. So I, I really relate to that part of your story too, that mm-hmm. it's like, you can be both traditional and open-minded. And I think your family and then my family is like such a great example of that. Yeah. That's what we managed to find. And yeah. I just think it's such a hard thing to find from past experiences. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so talking about that more of cross-cultural marriage, you know, New Zealand is, is like known for being one of the most equal countries of like equality between women and men on the index from human development it uh india falls on the lower end of like number 129 which i find to be debatable we could all debate that right mm. of like what does it re- equality really look like or what does it mean yeah. um between genders you'll find some incredible feminists here and then you'll find people that are big jerks, just like, like anywhere. Um, and New Zealand is ranked on that index as number 14. <laughs> okay. So, you know, like on episode 15, I interviewed a women's rights expert. And she was saying that in India kind of gets a bad rap in some ways. But in other ways, we have this, this incredible movement happening. So... In your situation, just of like how you've observed equality in the family and in just like in general, have there been any like challenges just as society perceives you being married to an Indian woman? Mm. Tell me a little bit about that. There's been no challenges for me. And partly it's because my father-in-law deals with all that stuff. If Mm. anyone questions us or questions him, or says anything bad about what's going on between in our relationship, he will blast them. He will get on the phone to them, no matter who they are, and set them straight. He's a tough guy, and he sticks up for us, and he shield, he shields us from all that stuff, actually. Mm. So I'm so mm. lucky that he's an advocate for me and Manisha. Mm. Like, we also had a zero rupee wedding. Um, yeah. We didn't invite anybody as well, and so that's a huge you know, point of contention for Mm. our family, our our wider family members, Mm -hmm. you know, but he stood up for us. He went in the newspaper for us and told about why we were doing it. And like, what more could I ask for than a father-in-law like that? You know, so I've, I've just been incredibly lucky, but in terms of equality, there is a lot of equality here between men and women. Um, Mm -hmm. You see it less in the cities, but you really see it in the villages, especially mm. where my wife is from in Haryana. She could tell you some real stories. 
And I mean, if you just go to a village in Haryana, you will see it, the equality straight away. The women are working in the fields and the men are playing cards. <laughs> That's as simple as it gets. And that is, yeah, the women do a lot of the work in the villages is, is what I've noticed. And mm. the men kind of supervise. Mm. So there's, there's extremes in India, you know, India is a country of extremes. Yeah. In the cities, it, it's more equal, but then you go to the villages and it's, you know, as, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. what you've heard. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's very hard for me to navigate those two things when I see this kind of stuff happening. But what can I do? I can, I'm planning to start and to tell like women's stories, actually, mm. like tell, awesome. the, tell the, the village women's stories, follow them around for a day and just, just show how much work they do and all this kind of stuff. So mm. that's what I'll do. That's awesome. And that's such a, an, an, another like piece of the advocacy that you're doing. Um, before we talk about that, I just love how, um, you know, you can see how much of the roots where, where Manisha has, had grown to be such an exceptional person. And she's come from an exceptional family. And um, I mean, even the overall cultural culture being so patriarchal and um, in some ways, but then matriarchal in other ways. I mean, that's a, str a struggle we have to face on a daily basis. And it seems like your family has really challenged that in a lot of ways. And I love how yeah, you're... Yeah, it's, it's my father-in-law, yeah. man. It's my father-in-law. He studied political science and yeah. he is an advocate in um, his constituency where he, he contests elections in Haryana. So, mm. yeah, that's all him. Nice. Talking about like reverse of gender roles, you made a video recently of making chai for your sasuma, your mother-in-law. I love it. Um, <laughs> like... I didn't even think about it as a gender role thing. I just, sure. this is just what I do. Right. I just love making tea for my mother-in-law and we have tea parties. That's what we call it. Uh -huh. We have our tea party because there's only the two of us that drink it in the house. Yeah. And I love that. Um, so, I'm, I'm working on a chai masala recipe right now. That's what I'm doing right now. Today, I'll, as soon as this finishes, I'll go and, you know, keep experimenting with my chai masala. <laughs> awesome. Um... So that's another thing is, you know, another on this topic of like patriarchal culture, because you guys are, are going against the grain in some ways, a lot of <laughs> the things that I've seen and heard is that the woman is expected to adjust in the marriage. Mm -hmm. And, and you're kind of reversing that, like you've moved from your country, you've moved into their house, and you've like adjusted to their family. So um, I guess you're saying your father-in-law has mm. done most of the, the, the like guarding of that, but have there been any cultural issues surrounding that adjustment process or not really? No, only other people interfering and people trying to like, like trying to degrade me by saying being a, a guard Jamai is, huh. is not the right thing to do. Huh. So it, it's only these external influences, but you know, I'm, I'm good at ignoring these people and right. I do what I believe in. That's what. There's nothing wrong with being a garbage of my and actually um, pay my own way. I've always believed in paying my own way in life. So I provide money for the groceries and these type of things. I feel like I have to contribute and I, I do contribute. But, you know, my father-in-law would never make me do that ever. He's shocked at the thought. But I just told him, like, me being a man, I, I should help around the house, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how I feel. I love it. Thanks for sharing about that. I know it's like a lot of personal questions and I appreciate you sharing. Uh, no, it's fine. My life is an open book and I just want to help other people. You yes. Know? Nothing to hide. 
on that, I want to ask you, this is a, it was not in my, my question list, but I'm wondering, like, as I, um, have watched your videos and you're sharing, you know, everything about your life almost, it seems like, how does Manisha feel about that? Is it sometimes frustrating for her or like, or she kind of evolved way past that thinking of like, I don't really care what other people think or what people can see into my personal life. No, she's like an activist herself. She's always been a feminist. She's always believed in equality and she doesn't believe in hiding anything. Yeah, she doesn't have a problem with me telling everything to the world. Mm-hmm. Part of it is also she she used to do theater here in India. So she's a very open and, and artistic person. So mm. yeah, th- there's no issues. She understands that we're helping other people by sharing our life and mm. sharing our thoughts. For sure. So yeah, no problems. She, I mean, she's tough like her dad, you know? Yeah. She's got no <laughs> fears of what society might think of us. We don't care. We're doing what we want and... You know, a lot of people are appreciating what we're doing because, you know, they're inspired by how we're living our life true to ourselves. Yeah, right. Agal bagal ke log kya bol doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I love who that. Cares? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your journey into activism and all this. You said that, you know, I imagine all the traveling that you've done, you've been, you've come across so many like scammers and it's, it's an ugly side of India that not a lot of people are uncovering. And I'm really glad that you're doing this. Um, I just want to say that like your bravery is stunning to me and you're a force to be reckoned with. And I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing, but like, how did you just get into this? I mean, I imagine out of, was it just like born out of your personal frustrations of, Hey, I'm so irritated by these people and this like cultural, acceptance of not only ripping off foreigners, but ripping off anyone and everyone that it possibly can. The, the original idea was, I just, I mean, I loved India. I love India. And yes. I just wanted to help travelers have an amazing time in India by avoiding the bad stuff. That's it. I just wanted people to love India as much as I did, because hmm. so many people I met had told me all these horror stories from India. And then they were going home and spreading these stories back home. Right. So I'm just like, how can I help these tourists and these travelers avoid the bad parts of India so they just have an incredible time here? That was, mm. that was all that motivation came from to do these scam videos. And that's still the motivation, just to help people love India like I do. That's yeah. it. It's that simple. Mm. People are, like Indians often think I'm here or I'm making these videos just to you know, like abuse India or mm-hmm. only show the bad sides of India, but they're just not understanding how a foreigner feels when they get here and something bad happens like that. Right. Like I'm actually, I'm actually saving India and saving foreigners and helping tourism here. Right. You know, so For sure. yeah, it's one of those things. Carl, can you tell us a little bit about your Hindi learning experience? How did you do that? I know you were at language school for a couple of weeks or months? I was meant to be there for three months, but COVID happened. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I learned Hindi so I can adapt into Indian culture. If you can't speak the local language in whatever Indian state you're living in, it's just going to be hard for you to assimilate into culture here. You're always going to be on the outside. Your family's always going to be speaking in their mother tongue. People on the street don't speak English. They will be speaking in their mother tongue. And you'll always feel like you're outside the loop. And you won't be able to integrate into Indian society properly. So you absolutely have to learn the local language in whatever state you're living in. So, yeah, that's why I do it, just so I can become part of Delhi, become part of India, become part of Haryana. 
And so I can communicate with my parents-in-law because they don't speak English. They speak Hindi, Haryanvi, and Rajasthani. Mm -hmm. It's vital when you're living in another country and especially when you're dating an, an Indian person as well. It just opens so many doors for you as well. Like every day when I speak Hindi, someone is smiling back at me because they're like, whoa, this foreigner speaking Hindi, that is so cool. It's just such an unusual thing. So mm -hmm. more than just me communicating with my, my family or communicating with the common man on the street, like it just brings me so much happiness as well from, from Indians. So yeah, I, I love learning Hindi and it takes a long time. Hindi is not an easy language as far as I'm mm -hmm. concerned. It's like English. There's so, there's so many things we say in English which don't make any sense, like yeah. idiomatic terms. And Hindi is full of these things. So, yeah, a lot of the time you're learning this stuff which, which makes no sense in English, but you just got to learn it because it makes sense in Hindi. There's something black in the dal. What does that mean? Well, it means there's something wrong. How am I supposed to know that? <laughs> All of these, these things are just so many. Yeah. Totally. Like, lagna has so many meanings. So many mm. verbs in Hindi mean so many different things. Yes. It, uh, it's, re it's a real challenge for the English, English speaker, I think. Yeah, definitely. I hear you. I feel like one of the things that I have, I guess, learned over the years too, and I want to hear your feedback on this, is like, I don't think Hindi, the actual language itself, getting the basics down is a difficult language. Like the semantics of it are very straightforward. The mm. pronunciation, once you can train your palate, it's the social dynamics of Hindi, which are challenging and figuring out, you know, the hierarchical ways to use the language, the ways to kind of massage the language according to who you're speaking to, using the tones of, of like respect or of, um, you know, intonation to like where you fit in society, I think is a really hard thing to figure out and all part of the process of learning Hindi. Hindi is a very social language. Yeah, yeah. Hindi's, Hindi is easy to learn if you have dedication. Anything is easy to learn if you're dedicated to it. The, the hardest thing for me with Hindi is listening to other people. Everyone speaks so fast and mm. Indians probably feel that about my, how I speak English. So if people are speaking too fast, I won't get anything. And a lot of people have accents as well, which is hard for me to understand. So mm -hmm. it just takes so much practice and so much listening. And it's, it's a long process. It's a lifelong process, you know, learning a language, I feel. I, I totally agree with you. But the rewards are humongous. So I'm sure you've you know, found all these same rewards that I have as well. For sure. So what is next for you? I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the, you know, telling women's stories or what other, what other things can we be keeping yeah. our ear to the ground for i feel like a youtuber's shelf life is quite limited there's only maybe you have like three or four years or five years if you're lucky until people get bored of you or sick of you or whatever mm. so mm. i'm i'm planning my exit strategy at the same time as i'm making all these videos so mm. manisha and i are working on building a tourism company so we can bring foreigners to india mm. and make sure they have an incredible time so that's what we're going to launch in the next one to two years. That's awesome. kind of our, our YouTube exit strategy. We'll still make, we'll, we'll always make videos, but you know, you, you need, if, you, if you're a YouTuber, you need a business as well to support yourself. Sure. So yeah, we're building a business around the YouTube channel. That's, that, it just extends on what I'm already doing, you know, helping foreigners in India, but I'll literally be physically helping them travel mm. around India. And hopefully in that, we'll be taking people to new places which don't get a lot of tourism. That's what I want to do as well. We'll do mm -hmm. the Golden Triangle, but then we'll take people to like Kashmir or Mizoram or just mm -hmm. places which are kind of unexplored. 
So yeah. this is kind of my, my five-year plan. In terms of like YouTube videos, I've recently gone into busting scam call centers because mm -hmm. scam call centers here are incredibly, it's a huge problem. Police aren't doing anything because the victims are foreigners overseas. The victim isn't in India. So right. the case is incredibly hard for them. And they're, they're just not skilled in cybercrime. So at the moment, I'm working with Jim Browning, and we're just going around busting as many scam call centers as we can and closing as many as we can down. And we're working with the police to build a relationship where we provide them the information so they can go and do the raids and send these guys to jail. So mm. that's, that's another thing I'm doing. Um, yeah, I'll keep making scam videos, keep making food videos, keep mm -hmm. sharing my life in India and keep sharing all, the, all my positive travel experiences as well. Yeah, that's great. Where can people find out more about you? I mean, your, your website, your YouTube channel, you have two books out as well, right? Just go to YouTube and type in Carl Rock and just start exploring that way and you'll find out everything about me, including the books that I've written. And awesome. Yeah, so another thing about your books, you have two books. One is How to Learn Hindi Faster Than I Did. <laughs> and your second one is... Quick Start Safety Guide to travel, Traveling India Safely. Carl has graciously offered to give away copies, three copies of each of his book to listeners of the Invisible India podcast. So you can go ahead and check out on our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and check out what you need to do to be able to get your hands on a digital copy of those books. We're going to do a little fun game next. So go ahead and hop over to YouTube if you want to see Carl and I chatting live about the <laughs> the real India experiential bucket list. So I'm going to ask Carl some questions about the crazy, insane, fun things that he's experienced in India with the bucket list that we created, Invisible India podcast of not just, oh, have you been to, you know, the Taj Mahal? Have you been to Kerala? What are the things that are way beyond the borders? If you've seen the real India have you done these things? So we're going to talk with Carl about that. So go ahead and check that out. But Carl, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm just thankful for what you're doing and who you are and how just your heart for India and your heart for Indian people and how you really care and, and want to tell the stories that are not told, you know, allow people to represent themselves in an accurate way on your medium. So yeah, thanks for doing that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. For sure. All right. So thanks, everybody. Go and check out YouTube to see us visual video talking to each other about Carl's experiences in India. And we also have our shiny, new, ready-to-roll website up. Just went up this week. So check it out, invisibleindiapodcast.com. All of our stuff is up there, all of our social links, episodes, blog too. Go on over there and give it a spin. The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Hanley on Tabla on Rag Bhim Palasi.